0: This is our fifth session on 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 to 12, and I don't have a particular phrase or sentence to expound. Rather, I want to answer a question that troubles me, and perhaps you, after reading verse 11 last time. Therefore, God sends them a working of delusion so that they may believe the lie." In other words, this working of Satan, the coming of the lawless one, is by the working of Satan, with all powers and signs and wonders in the service of a lie, and with all deception of unrighteousness for those who are perishing because they did not welcome a love for the truth in order to be saved. So that's bad enough, right? That Satan is at work The man of lawlessness is at work, a great apostasy, a rebellion, falling away, a deception is happening in the church as well as in the world. And God is present, and he's present to send his own working of delusion so that people Will indeed believe the lie. And here's my question. Stepping back and looking at all the Bible portions that describe the days leading up to the very end before the coming of the Lord, why does God permit and ordain that there be such bleakness on the world, such horrific deception, such falling away? such persecution and darkness. Here's Jesus' description of it. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death. You'll be hated by all the nations for my namesake. Then many, many in the church will fall away. God could prevent this. He is God. He raises the dead, opens the eyes of the blind. He brings revival. He can stop this falling away. He's not going to stop it. They're going to betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, that's what Paul's talking about in 2 Thessalonians 2, the man of lawlessness and the mystery of lawlessness, it's going to come. And the love of many will grow cold the one endures to the end will be saved now here is a clue i think what are you doing god why do you plan before the glorious triumphant end of history for there to be such a catastrophe in and outside the church and such a failure of your people to stand firm why and this is he who endures to the end will be saved so let me point you to some texts that point to the solution of, what are you up to, God, in the end of this age by permitting and ordaining such a failure in the church and such persecution in the world? We'll start here at Deuteronomy. We've seen this before. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder—Paul refers to signs and wonders of deception— in the service of a lie in 2 Thessalonians 2. And the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. These are not smoke and mirrors. This is real, a supernatural evil. And if he says, let us go after other gods, not the true God, let's be idolaters. I've just proved idolatry with my sign and wonder. That's the way it's going to be with a man of lawlessness at the end. Let's worship other gods that you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you. Now, that's my basic answer. You may say, why would God do it? He's doing it in order to test you to know whether you love the Lord your God. So there's an Old Testament paradigm answer for why God allows false prophets to arrive and do signs and wonders. He is testing us to know our hearts. Here's a description. I think this is probably the most important paragraph to give an answer to why God does what he does at the end of the age. Beloved, do not be surprised. So he's trying to help us see this is planned. This is not taking God off guard, and it ought not take you off guard. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial, testing, when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange, it's planned. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So this is just before the second coming. If you are insulted, I don't mean to say that it doesn't happen all through history. I just mean it's going to be intensified at the end. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God by that name. There's the goal of the test. Will we glorify God in the test by showing that God is more precious to us than our lives? Are we willing to die and suffer for the glory of God? If we are, he will shine. If we aren't, he won't in our lives. He will in others for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. That's a fundamental statement. And we saw the judgment in chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, that it is a just judgment that God was bringing upon the church there in Thessalonica in order to fit them for the second coming. It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That's our agenda at the end of the age. Entrust your soul. But the point here is testing for the glory of God. Here's what he does with that in chapter 1. Uh, 1 Peter. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, that means during your life, your little vapor's life, it is necessary that you have been grieved by various tests, tests and trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation God values the tested genuineness of his people's faith that he's willing to put them through the furnace of end-time affliction that they might be praised and glorified and honored at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the answer of Peter. In Revelation 13, the beast, the man of lawlessness, does this. The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints, Christians, and to conquer them. That's an ominous statement. It doesn't mean that they are totally defeated, it means that there is such a catastrophic persecution at the end that the world will gloat that the church has been defeated. And authority was given to it, the beast, over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it except whom? All will worship the beast except those whose names are in the book of life. They will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. And then here comes this crucial phrase here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. God knows that He's putting His people through hell so that they don't have to go to hell. And He's summoning them to be purified in their faith. Through the endurance, so that their faith shines. Here's a particular instance of it in chapter 2 of Revelation. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil, remember the man of lawlessness came with the working of Satan, is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested. Here it is. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. In other words, you were not defeated. You get a crown of life. And here's one last answer to the question, what is God up to in those horrific last days? He is first up to the testing of his people. Do they love me? And the purifying of their faith so that it redounds to praise at the second coming. And here's another way to describe his purpose. There's going to be this betrayal, right? And many will be led astray and many will fall away. They went out from us, but they were not of us. They were not of us. They were fake Christians. All those years we thought they really believed, but when the fire got hot and the love grew cold, they fell away. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it may become plain that they were not of us. God intends for his church to be plainly faithful. He will inherit at the last day a beautiful bride. She will be bloody, but she will be faithful. And all the fake Christians will have gone out from us.